You're listening to the sermon podcast of North Valley Baptist Church. This week's message is preached by Pastor Scott McGrady. Well, if you would take your Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes 2. This morning we'll be looking at verses 1 through 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Last week, uh, Winston graciously uh, brought us a message from 2 Peter chapter 1, and uh, I'm grateful uh, for that. Uh, but again, we're, we're going to jump back into Ecclesiastes now here this morning. In John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, we have two characters. We have Christian and Faithful. And at one point in the book, if you, you haven't read the book, you have to. It's kind of like... Uh, prerequisite for, I don't know, something. Uh, but uh, you should read it. It's a good book. Uh, but there we have Christian and Faithful, two characters in the book, and they're making their journey to the celestial city, and, and at one point they come to a town called Vanity Fair. And they, they need to pass through this town on their journey. Now this is a place of, of selling and buying, and as it says, of, of all kinds of vanity. One can buy homes, places. One can buy honor, kingdoms. You can buy lusts and pleasures and delights of all sorts. And there are all sorts of, of characters in this town. Now, when these two pilgrims enter town, they cause a lot of heads to turn. Uh, they were not really welcomed so much in that town. They dressed differently. Uh, they spoke a different language that few could understand. They were foreigners that did not fit in. And the townspeople tried to entice Christian and faithful with merchandise from the town. And these pilgrims would respond, as we read in Psalm 119, verse 37, saying, Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity. And being mocked, they're asked, What will you buy? And they answer in reference to Proverbs 23, 23, saying, We buy the truth. And everything in John Bunyan's description of Christian and faithful, they were nothing like the people of Vanity Fair. They didn't look like them. They didn't talk like them. They did not have the same pursuits and drives as they did as those buying and selling within the town with all the, the pleasures that there were to buy, all to entice them. And yet they remained distinct from those in Vanity Fair. But what about us? Do we, who call ourselves Christians, who say we're, we're faithful to our Lord, or strive to be faithful to our Lord, do we, do we remain distinct from the world? In the vanity fair that we must pass through? Or are we enticed to buy all the pleasures and delights that the world has to sell us? Do we look like and talk like the world, pursuing the same things that the unbelievers in this world pursue? All that is, as Solomon has said, vanity of vanities. Do we buy the pleasures to bring fulfillment and purpose into our lives, into the, the fleeting emptiness of life? Do we buy the things, are we driven towards the things that really in the end are just more fleeting and empty? Ecclesiastes 
Or is there a distinction between us and the rest of the world? Last time we saw how Solomon, how the preacher here in Ecclesiastes, had discovered how every work, all toiling under the sun, was empty, fleeting, worthless. How our our very lives hold no meaning apart from God as each generation cycles in and out of existence. Uh, Just as all nature runs a tiresome cyclical course, so also each generation gives way to the next without purpose or meaning. And he discovered that earthly wisdom was just madness. And the increasing of knowledge just really brought more sorrow. It didn't answer the question of the futility that the preacher saw in life. And as we went over that, I think that we should see there in chapter 1 the general understanding that everything is meaningless. That's that's what he's getting at. He's just giving this, uh, the general pursuit, the, the, the idea of the book. Life under the sun, life apart from God is meaningless. And man's wisdom and knowledge cannot answer that frustration. And now as we come to chapter 2, I think that Solomon gets into the details of his search. And it begins with finding meaning and satisfaction in life through pleasure. And so that's what he's going to talk about in these verses, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. He's going to talk about his experiment with pleasure. And and so as we look at this, we'll see in verses 1 and 2, this experiment. He introduces his experiment in finding the value of pleasure. And he also tells us then the results of his experiment. And then he gets into the details of his experiment. And so how did he look into pleasure? Well, the first thing he tells us is is looking to the pleasure of alcohol. So let's explore alcohol and what what that can do and what we can find there. And in verses 4 through the beginning of 8, we see then he he talks about satisfaction and achievement and and material gain. And the end of verse 8, we see then he talks about sensual pleasures. And in verses 9 through 11, he expounds on the results of his experiment. So let's Let's read the passage here for this morning. Again, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forests of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kingdoms and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. 
So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So as we come to verse 1 here, we see Solomon, again, he sets out to do this experiment. Again, he says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. And this is a, a road that many go down. Uh, to look and to seek out pleasure, what they desire, what they want, and satisfy those longings. Uh, for someone who is just feeling the frustration of life, trying to find fulfillment, trying to find satisfaction and purpose in life apart from God, and finding nothing, finding it all to be vanity everywhere they look, maybe then if they look to pleasure, that will do it for them. Maybe pleasure will be the answer. If they just seek and pursue enjoying life, fulfilling their desires, Maybe that will answer the frustration of the emptiness of life. People may not exactly say it that way, but that is how so many live. Now Solomon, though, as he sets out to settle this experiment and to see, is, is this where the answer can be found? Solomon here in introducing this, he, he doesn't waste any time with cliffhangers. Uh, Solomon clearly sees no need to keep us on the edge of our seats because right away he tells us the outcome of his experiment. He says there, but behold, this also was vanity. Pleasure, like everything else, in the end is, is empty. It's a vapor, it's here and gone. So what's the point? And he concludes in verse 2 that laughter is just crazy. And pleasure is useless. And when he says laughter and pleasure there in verse 2, uh, some would argue that those words are really synonymous with each other. Uh, others, and, and I would agree with those who say that uh, there is a distinction between these words, that, that laughter is probably referring to the more superficial pleasures of life, uh, uh, things that are fun or, or comical, or maybe even referring to carnal pleasures as well. Well, when he uses the word pleasure here, it denotes the more uh, deeper satisfactions in life. Finding satisfaction in accomplishments or in, in close relationships or the satisfaction that some find in being religious. It may be true that Solomon is, is again, using these words synonymously, but I really think we should see a distinction in them. Now, like we discussed last time about toiling, as Solomon talks about pleasure here, uh, this is not saying that there is absolutely no value in pleasure. But the value is short-lived. And so, too, we should understand that in talking about these more shallow pleasures or, or, or talking about the more significant satisfactions of life, uh, this is not saying that in of itself, finding 
pleasure, the more menial pleasures or the, or the deeper satisfaction, that those in itself is not evil. It's not wrong to do that. Now, what we find pleasure in, what we find satisfaction in, that, that, that can be evil and wrong. But just finding pleasure, just having satisfaction itself is not wrong. But they cannot bring any value and meaning to life. If you live to pursue pleasure, if your meaning in life is to enjoy life that is under the sun, that is life without God, then you're just chasing the wind. And that's what Solomon concludes in all of this. And then again, he gets into the details of how he pursued pleasure and how he put this to the test. And so we see in verse 3 that he sought to find fulfillment in pleasure by turning to alcohol. You know, there are those who try to escape the despair of life with alcohol. They drink to forget. They try to use alcohol as a means of pursuing pleasure and enjoyment. And that's one thing Solomon does here. He turns to alcohol for pleasure and enjoyment. And there, there's some difficulty in, in translating chapter th- or verse 3 here. And commentators discuss and argue their position. But I think what we should understand here is that Solomon turns to wine, as he says, to cheer my body. And we see that Solomon is pursuing pleasure apart from God, apart from being satisfied in God's glory. And he's using wine to do that. And whether he gave himself over to drunkenness, which is really where the debate is, uh, did he, he intoxicate himself? Uh, most commentators would say no because uh, of what it says here. And he says, my heart still guided me with wisdom. But what we see is that Solomon pursues pleasure apart from God, apart from that glory. And whether he did get drunk, which I think he, it could allude to that because it says that he did this to embrace folly. But whether or not he was drunk or whether or not he was just, as uh, Herbert Leopold says, uh, becoming a, a wine connoisseur, in any case, we see him in his pursuits, in his experiments of seeing what will fulfill me in life. Now, this verse here is not addressing the permissiveness of alcohol. And it's not addressing the prohibition of alcohol. If we're going to have that conversation, that's for another verse for another time. That's not the point here. What we see here is finding where one can take away the dissatisfaction of life and how one might might try to use alcohol to do that. And again, whether it's in enjoying the drink, just to have satisfaction in that pleasure, Or maybe even in the very least, alcohol can numb one to the depression of having no lasting satisfaction in their life, making you forget the meaninglessness of it all. Or at least maybe you can forget the seemingly insignificance of your life with the fun of drinking wine. And why? Well, because life is short. So we see Solomon here, he's looking to find what was good, what was purposeful for the children of man to do while they still lived. Now, if we are 
not living, trusting in the sovereignty of God. For looking to find our delight, not in Him, but other places. And so pursuing satisfaction apart from Him, we're going to look to all kinds of places. And many look to the bottle to find this satisfaction, to find a distraction, uh, to help them become numb to the dissatisfying reality of life. But not just alcohol. There's all kinds of things that we can turn to in this way to distract us from the meaninglessness of life, to distract us from the despair that we innately feel. And so there's many things people can clutter their lives with, trying to find whatever pleasures in life, but yet it all is a search in vain. There's all kinds of things to clutter our lives with, whether it's entertainment or hobbies. Like when the best thing that, is, that can be said at a person's funeral is that they were a diehard Phillies fan, that they were an avid fisherman or hunter, uh, that they were always one trying to crack a joke. And where did that get them in their living? It clearly didn't keep them from being laid in a casket. Now, obviously, I'm not speaking against finding enjoyment in baseball. I love baseball. Or in hunting and fishing and joking around. But when that's our pursuit in life, when the things that we bring into our lives and clutter our lives with are our top priority, or even other things, seemingly so simple, just just things that we think on uh, to get us through our day, to just get us to the end of our, our work and our week, to just distract us from the monotony in our lives. And so many, as they think about their plans for when they get out of work and their plans for uh, the end of the week when they can just be free and do as they want, and and so from Monday to Friday, they're just working for the weekend. Just pressing on, because there's where they're they're going to look for significance. There's where they're going to look for satisfaction. Or maybe it's not the one working nine to five. Maybe it's the, the mother and wife at home tired of the monotony of cleaning up after the kids, doing laundry, looking for something to distract herself from the, the just meaningless tasks that she sees, the menial tasks that she sees before her. And so she distracts herself thinking about what she could do that would make her feel satisfied, to have some kind of accomplishment outside of the home that would bring her pleasure. Or maybe it's the one who's single, who comes home tired of being alone, Spending time daydreaming about a satisfying relationship and taking pleasure in that daydream. Or whatever your situation is, or whatever you do, what do you look forward to to get you through your job, get you through your day to find satisfaction in? Uh, What distracts you from being dissatisfied with where you're at in life and what you're doing? How many think, how can I just focus my pursuits beyond the here and now to find satisfaction in an unsatisfying life? And really, that, that thought, at least on surface, is good. We should be looking beyond the here and now. Uh, but the problem is, is that we fall infinitely short of looking far enough beyond the here and now. Instead of looking to not just tonight, not just the weekend, we should look to what eternally matters. 
What is eternally beyond here and now? But we tend to look too short. Just looking forward to getting home and watching the next episode. Whatever it is that you watch. Looking for my weekend plans and going out. Maybe for some it's, it's looking to the next job. What can I do next? Whatever it is to grasp at straws, to find fulfillment in life, to feel as if the things I do mean something. But when what we do is apart from submission to God, apart from seeking His glory, when we seek our own glory, our own satisfaction, we're really just making it all about us. We're not eternal. And in the end of seeking what's all about us, our own satisfaction, we get no answer to it. We find nothing in what one can find pleasure in can solve the frustration of life. Nothing under the sun can answer the futility I feel. For my light and temporary pleasures only get me so far. My pursuits of satisfaction only succeed for a moment and then I'm still in the same place I started. And so, some are tempted to find that satisfaction in a bottle. Others look elsewhere to numb themselves, to mask their frustration of emptiness. Some get drunk. Some just enjoy the drink to take the edge off. Or whatever it is that you do, wherever you look, to find something good in life while you still live. So again, Solomon started off, he looked to wine. But the answer wasn't there. Solomon then, with all the riches and resources of being king, he pursues satisfaction in achievement, in, in these great building projects of great magnitude. We see that in verses 4 and 6 when he says he built houses and vineyards, gardens, recreational grounds, planting fruit trees, and, and he made pools to water his trees. And with all that land and all the things in that land had to be taken care of, right? And so then we see in verse 7 he had slaves, both slaves that he bought and, and slaves that were born in his house to those slaves that were serving him. And along with slaves, with all Solomon possessed, we see also he acquired great wealth, great material things. He said, I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. In verse 8, he says, I also gathered for myself silver and gold, and had treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women. Where can I find significance? Where can I find satisfaction? What can I take pleasure in? Can I take pleasure in my achievements and in these big building projects? Can I take pleasure in material possessions? What's going to fulfill me? You know, it's common to hear of people when they get to a certain age that they go through a, a midlife crisis. When they get to a certain age when they can look back and see how long they've lived, and as they look forward, from a human perspective at least, think, well, I probably only have as much time left as if I've already lived. 
assuming they're going to live that long. And as they look back on their life and they see, uh, I don't feel like I, I've, I've made it. I don't feel like I've, I've had the achievements I've hoped I'd had. I haven't made the money I wish I did. I haven't had the impact that I, I hoped I would in this life. I haven't lived with much significance. And so now it's time to kick it in gear and to do what I can to find some kind of fulfillment, to feel significant in my life. And, and the stereotypical thing then is to blow great amounts of money on something like a Ferrari. Because then they can feel like they've made it. I, I've, I've accomplished much. I've made enough money to buy a Ferrari. They can feel achievement in what they have and what they've done. Or maybe some, they, they look to still even do something great and they pour themselves into accomplishing something of great feats and, and they give up much of their time and energy to have the accomplishments that they don't feel they've ever had before. But in everything they do, in, in trying to acquire things or trying to pour themselves into things, whatever it is, they don't do it for God. They do it for themselves. It's all about them. And really, with Solomon and, and his achievements and these great building projects and, and his material possessions, we see it was all about him. Now, again, I'm not saying Solomon had a midlife crisis, but I'm just saying in where he was looking to find satisfaction in that pursuit, it was about him. It was not about God at all. And we see that if you look to verse 4. He says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards. Why? For myself. Verse 5, I made myself gardens and parks and everything else he lists there. Verse 6, I made myself pools. Verse 8, I also gathered for myself silver and gold. And again, everything else he mentions there. He did it all for him. It was all about him. But his life wasn't meant to be lived for him. And we do this. Whether it's in the pursuits of a midlife crisis or, or just simply the pursuits of our sins, of trying to find pleasure apart from being satisfied in God, we live as if it's all about us. We center our lives on us. I, me, mine. And so we live to seek pleasure apart from God. And when we live for ourselves, when it's all about us, we live for what is infinitely less than what we were made for. So infinitely less that when we live for ourselves, really, it can't be described as anything else but wicked and evil. For I was not made to glorify me. I was not made to enjoy me forever. That's abhorrent. No, I was made to glorify and enjoy God forever. He alone is so great that he is worthy of it being all about him. That he is worthy of us finding our satisfaction in him, not trying to find satisfaction apart from him in ourselves. It's not about you. It's not about you being fulfilled with pleasure. 
It's not about what you have accomplished. It's not about what you enjoy. It's about him and him alone. He alone is worthy. And take it from Solomon. He who resisted no opportunity to seek pleasure. Uh, even as we see, uh, where else he sought pleasure was in fulfilling his sensual desires. The end of verse 8 says that he had many concubines. Now, the word the English Standard Version translates as concubines. Uh, uh, commentators explain that this is a hard word to translate. And it could refer to a, a royal harem. Uh, but in any case, it, it demonstrates the extent that Solomon sought sexual fulfillment. You know, as we looked at 1 Kings chapter 11 in the introduction to this series, we saw how Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I mean, that's a thousand women. But his sensual fulfillment was, again, all about him. He sought what he desired. He sought pleasure apart from God. My friends, are, are you seeking what you desire? Are you seeking your fulfillment, your satisfaction apart from God? And so maybe are, are you seeking your, your sexual desires? Are you fulfilling your lusts? finding pleasure outside of God's will for marriage and sex. Where do you think that's going to get you? It will not answer the frustration of life. <laughs> it's really just going to make it more frustrating. It will not find you purpose and significance. No, you're going to find what Solomon found here. My friends, if, if this is you, if, this is, if you're fulfilling these desires, if you're going after your lusts and feeding those lusts, I pray that you will repent of this before your sin kills you. It does not lead to good places. It leads you away from the God that you were created for. See, Solomon, in making it all about him, he did find some success in some terms. I mean, in making it all about him, he made himself great. At least from a human standpoint. There had been no one as great as him in Jerusalem. We see that in verse 9. And all his endeavors for pleasure, just like when he, he turned to wine, he, he was able to take that experience and be objective to, to whether or not it was fulfilling in his life. He could think, what, was this empty? Or, or did it solve the problem of life under the sun? He, he kept his wisdom. He was able to discern. As there was nothing at his disposal, he had reached for the stars and grabbed them. Whatever he wanted, he had. He kept himself from no pleasure. And all his efforts for pleasure... He found pleasure. And this was his assessment. Verse 11. Then I considered all that my hand had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. 
the best of pleasures are fleeting. There's no ultimate fulfillment. They can't bring meaning because as soon as you obtain that pleasure, it's gone. That's it. And also, it doesn't keep you out of the grave. In the end, there is nothing to be gained under the sun, nothing to be gained when we live apart from God. My friend, are are you living, are you striving for satisfaction in your life apart from God, apart from the one which you were created for? Are you living and making life all about you? Again, as, as we live in this life, as we who are Christians are on this journey and we're passing through Vanity Fair, do we look like everyone else in this world? Do we talk the same? Do we dress the same? Do we look the same? Do we have the same pursuits? Are we purchasing the same lies that the world is? Are we trying to find our satisfaction in everything the world has to offer and every pleasure we can lay our hand to? just like the world is? Are we on the same insane quest coming to the same end of emptiness, of vanity of vanities? Or has our heart been changed? Has our minds been transformed? Hopefully that remote has not been transformed too badly. But are we who know God through Jesus Christ pursuing God? Recognizing that this life is not about us and finding our satisfaction in what we can lay our hand to in this world in living under the sun, but that we were made to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We who know God through Jesus Christ, we who have been bought by the blood of Christ, who are no longer who we used to be, But my friend, if you're sitting here and you have not put your trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, then you are who you've always been by nature. A sinner in in enmity with God. Living a life that is in opposition to the holy God who made you for himself. And this holy God is just and righteous. And he will bring his justice on all of those who live in opposition to his infinite holiness. His wrath will be satisfied in your eternal damnation. That's the bad news. (laughs) There is good news. As we see in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So whoever will believe on him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That God sent his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh into this world. And he lived a perfect life. He found his satisfaction in doing his father's will. And as the perfect sacrifice, he went to the cross where God the father credited Jesus with all of the sin of all who would believe on him. 
that he died a substitutionary death in our place. He died satisfying God's wrath and justice for all who believe. And he died, but he did not stay dead. He rose again, and he is your risen Lord. And your Lord commands you to repent, to turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. And when you trust in Jesus Christ alone, you are credited with the righteousness of Jesus, with his law-keeping life, his perfect life, that you stand righteous before the holy God. And that through Jesus, you live in a right relationship with God, to know him, this God who is worthy, this God who is so great, and to know him, to live for him, to look to his word and obey his word, to live your life, to glorify him and enjoy him forever. That's life. That's what we're here for, this great and awesome God. But you must first recognize that your sin has separated you from this God and has earned his wrath. And to find forgiveness for your sin, to find a right standing before God, you must come through faith to Jesus Christ and Christ alone. That's how you know this God. And then we are gifted, we are given the Holy Spirit to live for him and all that we do, to look to his word, obey his word, and live for him. So my friend, if you are a Christian, you know this truth. Live out this truth. You know he is worthy. Live for him who is worthy of your life. And if you are not, I plead with you, will you repent of your sin and trust in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone? And when you trust in Jesus Christ alone, you will be saved. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of North Valley Baptist Church. For the complete sermon archive and more information about the church, please go to visitnvbc.com.